Hey everyone, and welcome to today's episode of a lighthearted heavy podcast. This is episode eight, and today Christine and I, I being Anna, your host, we delve into therapy. We speak a lot on this podcast about getting therapy and advising everyone to do so. So we thought it was time to actually do an episode on what to look for in a good therapist, um, our experience with therapy, the different types of therapy, and what to do once you found a good one. No real trigger warnings needed on today's episode. I've even beeped out the swearing. That's how clean this is. If you do feel triggered by anything though mentioned in this episode or are currently struggling with your mental health, we encourage you to reach out to a mental health professional or contact Lifeline Australia for immediate support. And yeah, this entire episode is about therapy because therapy is a game changer and it really honestly can be a lifesaver. If you take anything away from this episode today, I hope it's just feeling even a little bit more comfortable with the idea of going to therapy. And that's pretty much all you need to know. Sorry, this episode is coming out so late. Life has been incredibly chaotic. Uh, You can probably hear it in my voice, how tired I am right now. But episode 9 will be out as per usual Thursday midnight. So if you're enjoying what we do, what me and my friends do on this podcast, please give us a subscription and we will be delivered right to your inbox, however it turns up on your feed every Thursday at midnight. That's it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. So Christine and I have been talking a lot about therapy and, you know, people should go to therapy over the course of the past however many episodes. So we've decided to finally do the episode on therapy, finding a good therapist, what red flags to look for and what green flags to look for, and then how best to kind of move forward for yourself in therapy would you like to add to that christine um cool thank you <laughs> informative okay i'm guessing that's a no <laughs> yeah all right so we'll start outlining the differences between the different types of counselor to a social worker to a therapist all that kind of stuff so social workers are more focused on helping clients and communities to find resources that they need to change the circumstances and they're an essential component of an intervention strategy. So like in domestic violence situations, child services, you know, your people coming into these situations to mediate and to help sort the situation out. Counselors, they are often short term on a short term basis. They're focused on your current issue and focus on identifying and implementing potential solutions to the current issue. So it's often solution-based therapy that's focused on your current roadblock. And it's pretty much like having an impartial third party to help you solve a dif- difficult problem. You've seen a counsellor before, haven't you? Yes. Is that pretty much on the nose? Yeah. Yeah. And it can be longer than short term, obviously. Like you could spend a decade with a counsellor if you wanted to. And you can also often find them free resources through universities. Some big businesses have counsellors on retainers or like have access to counselling services, but they are often probably the cheapest solution. But like I said, they are, they're focused more on current issues than anything else. Then you go to therapists, which is an umbrella term for all mental health professionals within the area of psychotherapy. So they're person-based. They focus on you, your life, your mental health concerns, They help discuss feelings and address them in a constructive way. They basically guide you through healing decision-making, and it's often based on talk therapy. 
and techniques to offer support and they are also often cheaper than psychologists. The main difference between a psychologist and a therapist, it's a different degree that psychologists have to go through, either a PhD or a doctor of psychology degree in clinical psych. A doctor of psychology is a type of PhD, but it's for clinical psychs who work directly with clients. Not all psychologists work as therapists. Sometimes they work as researchers or professors or authors, etc. I started my degree in psychology, but switched to the counseling degree because a lot of the, especially during the bachelor's degree, a lot of it is like scientific based studies, learning how to write a report, learning how to do all this stuff, which my brain just is not interested in. But then that's why it's also a longer degree for psychologists because you go through your master's, you go through, you know, your doctor of whatever. Psychologists can provide testing and diagnoses of mental illnesses, which therapists can do depending on what education and background they've had, but it's mainly for psychologists, which is the main difference, I think, between a therapist and a psychologist is psychologists are more for mental illnesses and they can use a range of clinical approaches to help your condition and they also work with psychiatrists sometimes if medication is needed which goes on to a psychiatrist which has trained as a medical doctor and can prescribe meds they're more clinically focused and they're more inclined towards scientifically the scientific and medical aspects of diagnosis and treatment Mm -hmm. that's all very dry but that's a pretty good definition of the different things you need They also, funnily enough, are in order of how expensive they are. Mm. Sometimes clients needing a longer-term approach for a specific mental illness often have a team of professionals helping them. So when I was an inpatient going through eating disorder, I had a psychologist, a dietitian, an exercise physiologist, a psychiatrist, and also nurses on staff as an inpatient, which gets very expensive, but that's where you need private health cover (laughs) to help out. Private health saved my ass with that. It paid for a lot of that. And generally, like Medicare rebate has specific levels of cover for specific illnesses. Eating disorder has, like I've discussed this previously, it has quite a good cover. You just have to get renewed by a GP every so often to, you know. So they know that you're not scamming the government because, yeah, let's all pretend we have mental illnesses. (laughs) I don't know, but that's basically what it is. Yeah, I just did a um, mental health first aid for um, specifically for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And I've just remembered as well that you can see an Aboriginal mental health worker, which from my understanding is someone who's kind of trusted within the Aboriginal community and can help like outsource other, um, what's the word? Professionals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also a really... We're focused mainly today on therapy because I think it is the most accessible. I mean, counseling and therapy, a lot of the times they're interchangeable, but therapists are more, like you said, they can, the counselors can be ongoing, but I feel like therapists go a little bit deeper into the clinical solutions to help you. Mm, yeah. Like I've been seeing my counselor for a long time and I find it quite helpful. We do kind of go into past things and trauma a little on like, to an extent, um, but you want to have a... Sometimes you want a specialised counsellor for those kinds of things. Yeah, it really depends on the level of training that they've had, Mm -hmm. which is a bit of a... 
screwy part to the system for a therapist that isn't a governing body, like an official governing body. Like education is a part of what to look for in a good therapist, but it really is, you know, you don't have to go to a like a top-end Harvard University for a psychology degree because there are also a lot of psychologists who haven't done the work for themselves. It's encouraged for mental health professionals to see their own counsellors and therapists, but there are a lot of therapists and people in the industry that haven't done their own work and it makes a huge difference for a client if the counsellor or whoever is treating them or seeing them has done their own work. Yeah, so going back to the, the cultural aspect of it, it is, you know, it, it doesn't need to be the be-all and end-all, but you should, we'll get into this later, so what, what to look for, but having someone who is aware of what cultural, if there is a significant cultural experience that you're very immersed in or immersed with, it's important to find someone who understands that because especially between Western culture and, say, Indigenous culture there is quite a big divide between you know what our understanding of something is to what their understanding of something is Mm. Uh, but we'll get into that a bit more later do you want to go through what therapy is yes i think above anything it's just support right Mm. like the same way you would see a doctor for physical things you would see a therapist for mental things right yeah it's just that support of healthy mental health so that you don't get to a point where the illness becomes overwhelming and hinders your life and all that kind of stuff. Not even the, like an illness, just a problem. Mm. You know, you can't really sweep things under the carpet and expect them not to come up if you've never acknowledged them or if you've mm. never confronted them. Yeah. it's It ha- even happens in, you know, in, in life choices. If you haven't confronted something that is, say, a part of your cognitive awareness or the way you've processed the world you're going to keep coming up against the same barriers with different people different situations Mm. because you're kind of wired to look for that without even understanding it yeah i'd recommend therapy for literally everyone Mm, same especially adults especially adults with children or thinking about having children Mm. huge difference yeah and i always have like a a strong me- recommendation for adolescents to seek counselling as well because once you, you know, very formative years, you know, so you want to kind of um, try and learn the building blocks to um, deal with life. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking because life can be difficult and if you haven't been taught how to navigate particular things and things within your, inside yourself, it's going to make things much harder Mm-mm. in the long run. Often you'll say that you really advocate that everyone, encourage everyone to go and get therapy and then people will be like, well, of course you're going to say that, you're a counsellor. And it's like, <laughs> well, well then would I not then be most equipped to recommend people get therapy? We're also becoming counsellors because we've been on the other side of it. Yeah. And like I know for me growing up, Everyone could have really benefited from getting some kind of therapy. Yeah. I definitely could have, even when I was, you know, pre-teens. Mm-hmm. And that is, Christine will touch on it in a second, but there are different styles of therapy for different age groups. Mm-hmm. But it's all so beneficial. Mm. Especially as a kid, because, you know, your, your brain is setting up the structure of your cognitive understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. And if that is 
misaligned in some way or it's it's skewed because of particular experiences that's that kid is then being set up until they get help if they ever get help that is how they see the world and how they see themselves Mm. it's so important yeah safety is a massive thing for when you're growing up as a child especially Mm. if you can't feel safe then you can't do the next steps of your brain development right like you can't then i don't know flourish yeah i guess is the word i'm looking for because it makes it harder to to retain things and pay attention because your priority is on survival am i okay yeah yeah yeah, definitely um that's why therapy styles differ for different age groups as well so for children because they don't have the same sort of communication skills as adolescents and adults and cognitive understanding yeah then a lot of it would be centered around play therapy rather than talk therapy so that would include things like drawing um sand tray stuff building playing board games and card games with your therapist as well so if you've got a child that's going to therapy and you you hear that they've just been playing games and drawing stuff don't feel disheartened and discouraged that maybe your child isn't getting therapy because this is helping a lot more than you may imagine um because you can still kind of apply things like logotherapy for example so finding symbolism in things and then them that generating conversations with the child to get an understanding of what they're going through it always fascinated me learning about play therapy especially with in sand tray for example you have like you get the kids to pick out figurines they want to pick out and a lot of the time the scenarios they play out in the sand tray they resemble what's happening at home or Mm -hmm. at school or, or whatever yeah kids are very they're incredibly imaginative but a lot of it it's ba- it has to be based off something and a lot of it is based off their own experience yeah i always think about on the office when toby has to counsel michael he ends up sharing about his family and stuff mm-hmm. through drawing and they're playing games <laughs> and stuff and then he realizes that he's actually shared all these things and he was counseled by toby and he gets really <laughs> pissed off it is really effective it can take its time because like I said, kids don't have that cognitive capacity to oops, communicate what's kind of going on for them. But it's still worth it. And a lot of the time, kids just want to be heard. Mm, definitely. They want that attention. They want, I think about my nephew. And it's a lot of the time, he just wants to kind of sit and talk. Mm. And so, like, kids are kids, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's still so important what they're saying and what they're taking in because they Mm. they're like little sponges they absorb everything yeah and so it's kind of good to have that check in with them you know not from a parental stance but from a third party stance that is trained in this Mm -hmm. to just see okay how are they going with this is something at school if their behavior changes for example all of a sudden something has influenced that it's not just a kid acting out Mm -hmm. all of this stuff even as an adult an adult having a tantrum or acting out it's all to do with something else. Yeah, definitely. And when kids are growing up, the way that they're interacted with and the way that they're treated and spoken to will then influence the ways that they feel they deserve to be treated mm. when they're older. Yep. Yeah. So giving your kid the attention and the time is really important for setting up self-esteem as well. 
And this is not to freak people out about having kids (laughs) and the amount of responsibility that it actually requires uh, on adults. But, you know, it's like that old saying, it takes a village. Sometimes that includes a therapist. And I think, you know, there used to be a lot of stigma around that, especially when we were growing up. And there still is today. But, like, say, for example, your kid, it's obvious they have ADHD. Mm. It's not a reflection on the kid. You know, it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. Why wouldn't you then want to help the kid and help you and help the teacher and everyone else have an understanding of why they behave in a certain way? Mm-hmm. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. I know that there's a lot of fear around therapy and a lot of fear around what will be uncovered. But when it's with kids, you can't really have that fear. It's, I don't want to say it's selfish, mm. but it is a bit. Because it's it's more focusing on your own fear as opposed to what's best for the kid. I think even as an adult, it's, you know, this isn't to be judgmental because I completely understand it. I know how terrifying it can be to face this stuff for yourself or for people you love. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's there for a reason and it's there to not judge you or to make you feel terrible about yourself or your life decisions or, you know, how your parents treated you or whatever. It's there to help you understand yourself Mm -hmm. and how to move forward. Hmm. Anyway, do you want to finish with that? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, With adults, they'll most likely experience, this is just my understanding again, they'll most likely experience like something like psychoanalytical and attachment based. So that's kind of like how they view themselves and the world around them and attachment styles i think was spoken about between you and cassie mm-hmm. yeah so go back to episode five and listen yeah, to that yeah. if you want to i'm not telling you what to do you, you live your life but also do it <laughs> it's actually um, since since doing that episode i've actually discovered that my atten- attachment style is disorganized mm. it's not just avoidant yeah which is so much more fun because <laughs> then it's both anxious and avoidant in mm-hmm. one but yeah so it's it is handy to figure out for yourself what it is because then, like I said, it's not just this piece of information to be like, oh, f-. sorry, I shouldn't swear on this podcast, this episode in particular. But it's there for you to be informed and to learn how to move forward. Yeah, and it's not to say you have this attachment style, this is a problem. It's mm. like this is just your attachment style. It is know? what it is. It can change throughout your life and that's totally fine, but it's just a way to bring the awareness to what it is to help you to kind of continue to live um, in a way that feels good for you. And also help you to not self-sabotage other interpersonal relationships as you as you move forward. Yeah. Help you to feel more connected. That's a very important thing is to have people around you that, that you can feel, I already said connected, but connected with. Unfortunately, it's part of the human condition and I try to... Um, test this theory a lot during my life and failed people need people unfortunately and so figuring out how best to work with them i guess can only help should we move on to our experiences of the best therapists we've had i just want to first talk about person-centered therapy Mm -hmm. is really important too in all of these age groups you know it is focused on the client Mm. it's not your own agenda It's not someone else's agenda. It's what does the person want for themselves. And also the person in the present moment. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not as terrifying as like 
tell me all your history. Yeah. It's, you know, sometimes that helps to inform why you are reacting in a certain way. But the focus is on you, your current situation. And that's a lot less scary, I think, for people to go into a therapist's office and be like, okay, this is a particular thing that I want to work on. I don't particularly want all this other shit to come out. Mm -hmm. And that also does lead into the best therapist because they won't push you when you're not ready. Yeah, definitely. That's the most important thing. Yeah. So my experience, the therapist I have now is the best one I've ever had. But I also feel like where I'm at leads me to thinking that. I know that if I had her like even a year ago, I wouldn't have been ready and we wouldn't get along as well as we do. You know, she's she talks to me like a human. She presents herself as, you know, she's she's fallible. She is a human and it's not this weird power dynamic between us that feels so unbalanced. Like this is the guru and I have to, you know appease them not appease them but like they know more than me kind of thing with her it feels more like she's helping me through this journey and help me find these discoveries but it's up to me you know I'm the one that's actually discovering them and the ownership is on me my progress is on me and she of course don't get me wrong she will challenge me but even when she does she always checks in to make sure that we're on the same page. If I don't like something she said, she always invites me to talk about it. Yeah. She, for me, she's like a super wise mentor who also happens to be a therapist. It's a bit different because I want to go into therapy and I do want her to be my mentor. Mm. But she also validates and celebrates the wins and encourages me to celebrate them too because I've always had an issue with that, with acknowledging the good stuff. And she's the first therapist that I've had to say, I know exactly what to do with you. Mm. And also she and the practice that she runs, it's such a big difference because I was for the eating disorder, I was on a waiting list for another center for something like six months. Mm. It just went on and on. And then I finally reached out to, to these people and told them my situation, told them how long I've had the disorder, how long I've been waiting. And they bumped me up to the top of the list and I got in to see someone that week. Which is so important because they're actually seeing you as a person and not just another client. Mm -hmm. And it's it's an extension of the therapist as well, what the office is like. Every time I go in there, they're all so nice. They all know me by name. And they have their dogs there as well, which is just the best thing ever. It's, it's you know, it's a separate thing <laughs> to finding a good therapist, but it just helps. Like if you've had a really bad day and you walk into the therapist's office and there is at least one dog there to greet you, amazing. Mm. In the past, I had a therapist. She was great. She was actually the one. She never pushed me because she knew I wasn't ready. But when she saw that my disorder was getting worse, she knew to refer me on. And she, again, she never pushed me. Mm. And, you know, I didn't see her for about six months because I was like, no, this is bullshit. <laughs> but I was lucky enough to be doing this counseling course as well, where everything is kind of like shoved in your face about what's going on with you yeah i was like yeah no you're right thank you i will take this up and i had a lady in sydney who i don't remember specifically why she was so good i just remember that her office was really warm and sunny and she was so lovely and nice and validating so smart and aware but she also helped educate me and she was the first person to help diagnose me after i saw this woman in new york who was the most clinical she's very old school style of therapy just in a discussion she's like what's well, because you're depressed 
It's like, no, I'm not. Excuse me. <laughs> and but this this lady, I told her about it when I first started to see her, and she's like, okay, well, let's actually do do an assessment. Mm. And I know that doesn't help everyone to be diagnosed. For me, I found it super helpful to actually understand, you know, on an actual official scale where I sit with different things. Yeah. So those have been my best experiences. Yeah, and sometimes the diagnosis is good because you can better accommodate what the thing is. Mm. You know what I mean? It's easy with a diagnosis to fall into the trap of thinking, oh, it's just I'm like this because of this. Like, for example, with, with the eating disorder, I knew that I could use it to my advantage in situations where social eating, for example, and people would be like, why aren't you eating? I'm like, oh, I've got an eating disorder. But it's not, it's there not to be used as an excuse. Yeah. I know that, yeah, it's it's when you're not ready to to figure it out and to actually move forward with getting help, it can be a tricky situation. Yeah. But again, it's, it's whatever stage you're at. Yeah. And I think when you mentioned the six-month waiting list as well, that's kind of another incentive to try and seek therapy as soon as you can so you can either get through that waiting list quicker or maybe get lucky and be on a shorter waiting list. You know what I mean? And it can be. I know that especially since COVID, there's been a shortage of therapists. Mm. But I think it's it's important to be vigilant and it's important to really be tenacious with finding one. Yeah. And I know with a lot of people, when they're really down, and I'm speaking from experience as well, when you're really down, you don't want to do anything, especially talk to someone about it. Mm. When you're really up, you think everything's great, you don't need it. You have to catch yourself in the in-between to be like, okay, I need to set this up for whenever it happens, but I need to do this to not get caught up in the highs or the lows and think that, you know, you don't need it or it's you don't want it. Mm. You've mainly seen counsellors, right? Yeah. So the first time I got any kind of therapy was a psychologist. Mm. And I think I was 21, 22. Mm. But for someone who has had a hard time <laughs> for, for a long time, I can't believe the first time I saw anyone was at 22. Mm. It should have been so much earlier than that. But yeah, it was a psychologist. So it was my first experience seeing anyone and talking about my feelings properly. And it was... It was okay and that's yeah it was like not really I think for me mm. it was good a little bit <laughs> <laughs> because she kind of outlined some needs for me and that was good things like incorporating what's the word spontaneity I can't say it spontaneity there we go <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that because I was very much like I just sit at home all day and and I'm sad, you know. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so there were a few times where I had a massive cry in front of her. I think that was good. But then it got to a point where it was like, all right, I am talking about making lots of changes and I'm getting a bit scared now. I'm going to run away from this. Yeah, it's a common thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that's fine. That's part of the recovery process, mm-hmm. right? 100%. Yeah. And then when I was at uni, first year of uni, learning a lot about like developmental stuff and then having a lot of things coming up for me then so seeing the uni counselor and I've been seeing him for 
almost three years now, mm. I think. And he's been really great. Just really knows what I'm willing to kind of go into. Yeah. And does that same thing of like, you know, if you if you want to go into this, we can. But lately he's at the beginning of every year, we'll write down a list of things that I often talk about. Mm. And now when I go into a session, he'll be like, which of these are we doing or do you want to do something else? Mm, that's and good. it works really well because otherwise I feel like I can ramble and get scattered and mm. end up talking about all five things in a 50-minute yeah. session and it's just a lot. Yeah, that's a really, that's a mark of a good, yeah. a good counsellor. Absolutely. Yeah, someone who cares about what you want to talk about. Yeah, and also being aware of tendencies to be overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and to help you break it down and into something as simple as that helps so much yeah it's really good and also because we've talked a little bit about trauma in those sessions and he makes it very clear that he's not completely trained in any type of trauma therapy he's much like us learning about like different counseling strategies and stuff like that but that that honesty and being upfront about what you can and can't do is really good too instead of pretending that you know yeah i can do this for you yeah but then they can't yeah like when you said that lady knew when to refer you on mm-hmm. that's amazing because they're they're not just trying to keep you in to take your money yeah they actually want to do what's going to help you the most exactly yeah um yeah so a counselor that knows their limits but knows what they know and does it really well is mm. awesome um i did see another lady at the uni because I was just, I just really needed to see someone because I was just really sad and crying all the time. What I learned from her is that I don't really like a counsellor that's overly sympathetic. Like lots of, oh no. Oh, yeah. Like that doesn't work for me personally, yeah. but I know some people who do love that. So something that works for one person might not work for another. That's why this is, like I've said it before, it is kind of like dating. I think a lot of you know, with dating as well, but with when people try and try out a therapist, I think there's a lot of focus on how am I going to be perceived? Yes. When it really should be about, are they going to meet my needs? Mm. We'll go into tips on finding a good one in a minute. But I think it's worth mentioning some of the bad experiences we've had, which will then kind of lead into red flags to look for when you see a therapist. I've seen some pretty shocking ones. (laughs) I can't remember how many therapists I've seen over the years. My first one I went to was when I was 16 for the eating disorder. And she was, uh, I think she worked out of the GP's office that that I went to. So she practiced a psychoanalytical style, which Christine said earlier is more for adults because it goes very much into the subconscious and your past and how things have then manifested itself and come out. But as a 16-year-old, that was there specifically for an eating disorder. I was not ready for that. Mm. It opened up. It was like Pandora's box. It opened up all these old wounds and events that I never thought of. I was not even aware of them being an issue. Mm -hmm. Like I knew they happened, but I did not understand the effect that they actually had on me. It was important to find that out, but I, I was too young and for what I needed help for in the moment, mm. it was too much. I remember I didn't go back because it was too much, mm. but there was also no follow-up from her as well, which wasn't great. I went to one guy who gossiped to me about other clients. Huge red flag. 
And I remember I went a few times and the entire sessions was him talking about other clients, which there's a code of code of conduct, basically, of secrecy. You don't discuss your clients with anyone else. Yeah, the confidentiality. And we, you know, in the beginning of a session with a therapist, we sign it. We sign something saying that we will not disclose this. Mm. There's only extreme circumstances where we might have to contact someone, like if you have done something illegal. Mm. If we feel that you are vulnerable to self-harm, it will always be in conjunction with you. It will always be a conversation but we will have to get a carer involved or an ambulance involved or something if we feel like you're at risk to yourself. Yeah, that's in instances of like potential for suicide. Yeah, but they're always they're always in conjunction with the client. Mm-hmm. You'll never be forced to whatever. Mm. Even if you're a minor, like if for, for adolescent counselling, for example, unless it, yeah, unless it is some kind of abuse happening at home where someone else like family services might have to step in this stuff you have uh, an agreement between the client and the therapist and it stays between the client and the therapist Mm. you know parents can ask what's going on but we won't tell them they're not our client Mm. with like suicide not suicide sorry with self-harm that one's a tricky one because the client has every right to to soothe in the way they want to soothe Mm. so the counselor will then you know, we'll never never tell you to not do something, but there are safer alternatives yeah. to doing so. So if you are kind of self-harming, don't be afraid to share that with your counsellor because they'll try to help you through it in the most supportive way possible. Yeah. You know, no one's going to shame you for anything that you bring to the table. Yeah. Like an example of that was, you know, it's, it's, it's a different form of self-harm. It's not eating at the day patient program, they help you figure up other methods and remedies to go to when you feel that urge to restrict or feel that urge to go to the gym. It's just setting up these different things that you can go to instead of the harmful practices that you've set up to soothe yourself. Yeah. Going back to the worst therapist, I once saw one who had previously seen another family member. I am aware that in their session, the therapist cried with my family member. I cried for them and their situation, which is a bit extreme, especially as my family member was not crying Mm. (laughs) at the time. And when I saw this therapist, she would bring up that family member in sessions. I know that it can be beneficial sometimes if you are going to family therapy and then you have to have, or couples therapy, and then you have one-on-ones with that therapist. It's a different situation to then like going to a therapist for yourself and then going to someone with prior history of your family, it's not a blank slate and there's this prior bias that's, you know, it wasn't against me, but it was, you know, it was like she was there for this other family member as well as me. Mm. Uh, it just wasn't that helpful. Um, that, Like I mentioned before, the psychologist I saw in New York, she was good, but she was old school and not nurturing, didn't really have a positive regard either. And she was very clinical and very fast to diagnose me. Mm. And I know of someone, a friend who went to a family therapist. The family therapist had one-on-one sessions with the family. No, it was a one family member had a one-on-one and the rest of the family had a session with them. And then this therapist went and told the one person everything that the family said about them. 
Jesus. Which is so unethical, mm. so dangerous. And I would say they are not a good therapist. Mm. And then just a couple of others I had, which they're not, you know, technically therapists, but they are professionals in a field that should not be saying this stuff. So I went to a gynecologist once, had the conversation to me about children. I've never been very keen on the idea of having children. And recent years, I've kind of solidified my thoughts on that. But they still turned around and said, Mm, it would change. I'm like, mm, maybe you as a professional should not be implementing that opinion on me just because it happened for you. Yeah. And then similarly, I saw a physio who I had disclosed my past medical history about the eating disorder. And he pointed at his stomach and went, can you give me some of your eating disorder? I need to get rid of this. Oh God. I'm like, mm, wow, dude, that's a red flag that you have no idea. Like it wasn't his field. Like, you know, even as a physio, have a bit more awareness. Yeah, literally. And a friend who went to, who was in hospital for an eating disorder, once had a nurse tell her how lucky she was to have it. You know, this is a separate thing, but these are huge red flags. And if you have a therapist saying this shit to you, Mm. that is a big red flag because they are trying to impose their own views and opinions Like the gynecologist, for example, was trying to impose her own view and opinion on it. Mm. But then the other stuff, like the physio and that nurse, that's just ignorance. Mm. And then they're not qualified to be talking to you about this stuff. Yeah. And counsellors have to be trauma informed Mm -hmm. so that they're not re-triggering anything in their clients. I feel like all health professionals should learn to be trauma informed, right? Mm -hmm. Big time. Mm. Uh, But yeah, so there are red flags within that. Some of these are from my experience. I'm sure Christine has some from her experience as well. Mm. A lot of these are stuff that we basically learn about, uh, but also just hearing from other people and doing a bit of research online. Some of the research I found on horror stories, not going to mention them because, you know, we want to encourage you to go to a therapist, (laughs) but these are, these are not the norm. It's like, it's like anything. You go to a doctor and just because they have gone through a medical degree, it doesn't mean that they're good at what they do. Mm. So these are why red flags to look out for are super important. A big one is if they only talk about themselves or if they gossip about other clients. There's one I saw online where they didn't remember the person's, the client's name, mm. which just means that they're not paying attention. They're not invested in you and your progress. Mm. Or if they fall asleep or keep checking their watch or phone, if they push anything, even like if they try and push drugs on you, I know GPs do that a lot. They're very quick to pull the drug tr- trigger to help you. The psychiatrists are too at times. Be discerning on what you think is right for yourself. But if they push like political ideals on you or religious opinions, or even if they try and make an input in a direction in your personal relationships, mm. that's not their their place to say that mm-hmm. and you know we had an experience i don't know if christine wants to talk about it but we've had an experience in a group class a facilitator encouraged christine to break off a relationship with someone mm. which like it's not our place to give advice first of all yeah but that turned out to be the worst possible advice because you have a pretty great relationship with this person now yeah definitely and then um speaking to the counsellor that I've been seeing for a while about it as well Mm. and him not telling me what to do 
but making observations like yeah. you don't seem like you want to do this yeah you know it's like yeah you're right <laughs> yeah i mean all of this stuff you know a good counselor a good therapist they're following your lead mm. and a good therapist is observant yes and it's not about placing their ideas or opinions onto you it's about noticing things that you have said that maybe you haven't noticed for yourself mm. and always checking in with you as well yeah that's a massive one yeah few more red flags before we get to the good stuff like so it's very unethical like i know if a psychologist has an affair with a client they can be they can have their license taken away from them Mm. but basically if you find out that your therapist has had a relationship with a past client or if they flirt with you or if they're literally physically touching you Mm. that's a red flag (laughs) Because boundaries 100% need to be in place in these situations, you know, and it's, you're going into a space of vulnerability. Mm. And if, if a therapist is treating you or regarding you in that way, they're taking advantage of the space, they're taking advantage of the situation, and they don't have boundaries. Mm. And just in general, uh, if they have a, a prejudice or show a lack of understanding towards something, for example, if you are LGBTQIA+. Plus. Yeah. It's really important to find a therapist that has some basic understanding or is willing to go out and do the research to have that understanding. Um, and if they're straight out trying to debate you on how you live your life, they don't get it. Yeah. Find someone else. If they take your abuser's side, that's an opinion that's so wrong. Mm. When it comes to family therapy as well, you don't want a therapist that's taking anyone's side in that no. situation. They're meant to be neutral and they're to support all of you. Yeah. So getting onto the useful stuff. Do you got anything to add? No. Okay. Getting onto the useful stuff. Some tips in finding a good therapist. There are different ways you can do it. Um, some people take a strategic approach. They look for the hours that would be best suited to them where they are based compared to where your home is if they have a sense of humor depending on if you like to crack jokes someone's on the same wavelength i guess of understanding and also if you know if you'd rather have a more of a collaborative approach with someone you're just having all this stuff in mind when you go into the room and like i said assessing them if they're going to be right for you Mm. be genuine when you walk in there but you can also test the waters a bit in seeing how, you know, if you want someone to collaborate with you, see if they actually, like, talk to you or if they just sit back and listen and do the mm-hmm, Carl Rogers thing, mm. which I know some people love, not for me. It's, it's all personal opinion. Um, and also someone who understands the specific issue that you are coming in with. So like if you're talking about something, like if you work in a in the technology field, for example, you want to go to someone who understands a bit about the pressures of working in that kind of field mm-hmm. as opposed to someone who maybe is a bit older and doesn't have that understanding. Some people look at their website and see, you know, if, if the picture speaks to them or if it's their, their bio or the way it's set up, if it appeals to them. Sometimes therapists will put the type of techniques they use on the website. Mm. Eh, I mean, I think the best therapists use an integrated approach, which is 
picking and choosing from different theories and different ent- interventions to best suit your needs. Yeah. But some people like that. Also go for recommendations either from other people or from sometimes from a GP, but always do your own research. Mm. If you have a specific issue that you'd like to look at, there are often foundations that have websites with guides and lists and where to go. For example, with the eating disorder, there's a butterfly foundation that has a lot of resources as well as people to talk to. And like I said, it's about finding the right person for you and for where you're currently at. So when you go in there, be yourself. Don't try and placate to them. You need this and you need them to work for you. Mm. Yeah, you are the client. Whatever you feel is working for you. And you're paying them for a service. Mm. So, you know, you kind of want to make sure that you are getting the service you want. Mm. And don't feel disheartened as well if you don't find the perfect therapist to begin with. And also, perfect therapists don't exist everybody's going to make mistakes, right? Yeah. Because that's being human. Exactly. Um, Your therapist might try something that doesn't work with you. And if that's not a consistent thing, then you've still got a pretty good therapist. Yeah. And it's also, you know, how they take that feedback on board. You know, as long as they're trying different things, you're on the right track. Yeah. Which gets us to how you know you found a good therapist. Mm. So it's like the dating thing. Sometimes you click straight away with them. And sometimes you just keep giving it a go and it keeps working and there are no red flags comes up and it just, you know, it lasts, it, it works. And it also changes with where you're at. With my journey through it all, I would adamantly avoid any discussions of an eating disorder. I would get like very aggressive if it's brought up. So a lot of the time, you know, it was very obvious to the therapist what was going on, but she allowed me to focus on the other aspects of it with the trauma Mm -hmm. which was also super helpful to look at and it also laid down a lot of foundation for when I was ready to confront the eating disorder Mm. but yeah it's just going with it for where you're at again like with dating sometimes you outgrow them and find a new partner that's meeting where you're at and sometimes you know you can keep going and it works apparently I don't know I've not really been in a healthy relationship like that um if you feel heard and supported and held during your sessions Mm. not physically held again dodgy Mm. but you know you feel like you can open up and you're not going to be judged you're not going to have someone else's experience imposed on your own experience like christine said if they check in with you with how you're feeling about the process Mm. my therapist will often say something and make sure that it it makes sense to me and she'll also make sure that if she brings up something that challenges me, she checks in with how I'm feeling. Is it something that I resonate with? Um, If they validate your emotions and you feel understood, you feel challenged but supported, I think that's a really big one. Mm. It's like you're saying with the wanting to feel, feel validated but you don't want them to placate to your hardship, I guess. Yeah. You need that challenge to help you overcome it. Yeah. Um, That's the same with they don't just agree with everything you say, but instead they help you reframe it in a certain way. And you can have understanding but still help someone reframe it. They should be compassionate. They should, like in our experience, refer you on if they know that you need something more specialized. 
which is is super important because you don't want someone who's just bluffing their way through. Yeah. They, like if you're from a specific cultural background, like we mentioned before, either they refer you on or they take the time to research your culture and understand why something might mean so much to you that maybe is missing from their own culture. Mm-hmm. They can adapt to your needs and they know their stuff. There'll be times in therapy where I've said something or I have a fear about something and my current therapist and past therapists have been able to go statistically, actually, this is more the case. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, if I've questioned myself in a certain regard, like the, the ongoing question of how messed up am I really? I know I can trust her when she says stuff and it's not just her trying to make me feel better because of her demeanor in general. She's she's blunt, but in a really, in a not not a sharp way. So you know when she says something, it's not just her bullshitting. And she said to me, like, if I thought that this was a hopeless situation, I would tell you and I'd help you how to manage the situation. Mm-hmm. So having that understanding and that experience that she's had herself to be able to know exactly what they're looking at mm. is super, super important. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you want to add? Um, having a therapist that's respectful mm. to your decisions to go into something or not. Yeah. Yeah, that's about it. I yeah. Like you've covered it really well. And tips to prepare you for once you found a good therapist. Mm. Therapy can be really difficult, but you have to remember why you're there and what you want to change because things don't change by themselves you know externally things don't change by themselves if you feel like you're stuck in a certain situation or like a a cycle with something it's up to you to to change it because there's something going on subconsciously that you are seeking out or that is happening that this keeps happening and it's not going to stop magically it's you know reframing something in your brain or making you aware of something and I know it's hard, but always try and tell the truth in the room. You know, they're not there to judge you at all. The more honest you can be, the better chance you both have of actually coming to solutions or coming to a change. Also be honest as you can with how you feel in the room and how you feel about your dynamic. Because at the end of the day, what makes a good therapist, what makes a good session is the dynamic between the therapist and the client. You know, all of it kind of revolves around that. If you don't trust the therapist, then it's kind of, they can have the best look on things or help you as much as possible. But there will always be that seed of doubt that maybe they have, there's something else going on or something. So that's the thing that really needs to be invested in, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But also with that, give them a chance to build that trust. When I was researching this, someone someone wrote down that they needed a therapist and not a friend and they had a lot of people saying that the right therapist is a gut feeling but for them it was more you know for them it normally takes time for them to warm up to someone else regardless of who they are Mm. so it's just being being aware of how you normally interact with other people it's going to be reflected in how you actually interact with the therapist and in the room like i said if there if no red flags appear a lot of the time it's just it's fear or something just give them a chance mm. and if you're not sure of of what where they're going with something or what take they're having ask some questions about their approach and be honest with them with what you feel is actually helping or not mm-hmm. um, i know with cognitive behavioral therapy a lot of it is the therapist will give you certain homework so you can go and practice these skills 
but it doesn't work for everyone you know writing a journal may be so helpful for some people but for others it needs to be more you know it, it needs I don't know a different kind of approach mm. if it isn't working for you there's no point trying to embark on it because it's kind of a waste of time um, and like I said it's about the relationship between you two it won't magically develop in one session but over time you will feel constantly challenged and constantly supported so it just comes with time and it comes with trust and work by both people in the room mm, yeah that brings me to my last point they're there to support you but you have to do the work mm. they're there to help you figure out to see things in a different way or to you know like we said they make observations about what you've said or what you've said and then how you might feel about it how you know an emotion that might come up that maybe you're not aware of mm. but once they help you find it it's up to you to think about it and to think about oh okay so maybe where did that come from mm. unfortunately there isn't a, like a magic trick where you can go into a room and then they do some harry potter shit and then you're done mm. it takes time and an investment and an investment in yourself to do the work and it can feel slow yeah but that's okay, you know. Mm. Now, I remember that last semester, well, last year, just being so frustrated with myself. Even at the start of this year, actually. You know, I was, I'd done the day patient program and we'd started back at uni and just being so frustrated with myself for still having to deal with the shit. Mm. But you've put in the work and then you don't, you don't know. It can just change so sudden. Like, you feel sudden at times, but it's something finally ticks over that you're like okay i can see it now yeah it's that belief that you can get through it yeah like you've done enough work in the session and that what's the the stages of understanding unconsciously unaware consciously unaware mm. unconsciously aware and then consciously aware you know it takes a while for your brain to process things and to relay the tracks of your understanding and how you see yourself in the world it takes time. Mm. But then one day it's like all the tracks are laid and then the train starts moving more so um, more smoothly. Mm. And, of course, there's still going to be bumps in, in the way. That's life. But mm. a good therapist will help you get on that track to the point where you can keep on chugging and you don't need them anymore, <laughs> <laughs> which is the ultimate, like, that's the goal is mm. you don't need them anymore. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's important to embark on. Everyone has their shit. Life is hard. The world is a really hard place to live in. People make it really hard to live in. So you might as well get as many people in your corner as possible to help you fight through it. Yeah. And, you know, as hard as the world is, you you don't want to add to that by being your own enemy. You know, and it's so unfortunate that people feel that way about themselves because it's not, a lot of the time, it's not anything that they've actually done. It's just how they've been made to feel by whatever past experiences you know and we only not to get philosophical but we only get this one life and we only get to be us in this one life and you know like you may be at a stage where you hear that and you think oh thank god but that's also why it's so important to get this help because you know what is the point of any of this except to live so you might as well make it work for you right definitely i love the existential stuff as well just creating meaning because i think when we can get into low points and feelings it can be hard to want to find meaning Mm -hmm. 
and then once you kind of find it, it's like, it just makes things feel nicer. You can kind of feel shitty, but but you still know that there's something that you're working towards, which can either be small steps, um, like setting small goals for yourself and achieving bigger goals. But yeah, making goals is massive. It sounds simple, but it can really help the whole therapeutic process. If that's something you want to do with your counsellor, I think a good one would listen to you and help you to set those goals. And sometimes it takes something external to help you find the strength to keep going. Mm. I'm a huge advocate for adopting animals. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've noticed, but you know, I know not everyone can be in that situation, but caring for another person or another thing, when you don't have the will to care for yourself, it helps a lot. You know, through my lowest point my cats were the only thing that kept me going because I know that they need me and you know and my my nieces and my nephew like you know having that outside responsibility outside of myself in your lowest point sometimes that's all you need to keep going Mm. yeah so this wasn't incredibly uplifting I mean it was it was you know I think it was a necessary podcast there's no game at the end of this one I don't think it's necessary. This podcast has a very specific purpose and I hope that at least someone can take something from this. But I feel like it was necessary to do considering, you know, we are very, we're big believers of getting help and I hope this helps you find that and what to look out for because I know it can be, it can be really disheartening when you find a a shit one. Mm -hmm. But they're not all like that. And it's so enriching to yourself and your relationships with others when you do find a good one yeah you know back to dating it's like you 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 date a bad male or female or in between and you're like that shit never dating that kind again like well no that's just one bad egg there are good ones out there yeah and that's it Uh, i hope that was helpful thanks mum thanks for listening bye bye